Sin acknowledges and pays respect to the owners of the land of the House of Sin and where the studios stand, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. Sin also acknowledges and pays respect to the elders and traditional owners of the lands our content reaches, as well as the radio stations we broadcast from across the country. Welcome back to Cricket by Dummies, where the sun is shining, the air is clean, and cricket still happens, and the radio show still continues. Yes, oh. I know, it was terrible, just to get it out of the way early. Oh, well, it was kind of sweet. <laughs> if I was going to bet on anything, it'd be like you having a go at me. But the sun is was not out for cricket on the weekend for all No, it playing. wasn't. <laughs> for anyone playing in any of the uh, local competitions in Victoria, we had a little bit of rain. Just a little? Just a tad, you know. Um, it was pretty open skies for the first four, four or five hours. We got through most of the days playing my game. I even took a wicket. And then what? things started raining. Yeah. I did take a wicket. I don't, aren't you proud of me? Yeah. No, well... First it was, wicket for the season. It was weird weather because I got home from um, work and... Uh, I was like, oh, this is going to be a great afternoon. And five minutes later, you know what? This isn't going to be a great afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) It then proceeded to pour for the next two or three hours. Did you wish you had, like, swimming trunks? Yeah, you could have. The the ground we were playing on was so underwater that you probably could have taken a little bit of a dip. Was there uh, lots of ducks there? (laughs) (laughs) There were just none of them by me, gratefully, this week. (laughs) All right, let's get on to this week's show. We got exciting stuff for you all, our news as normal, as well as an Ashes recap of the first two T20s in the Women's Ashes series. They've occurred Australia won one and lost one, meaning that they will retain the Ashes for this series. Chuck, did you enjoy them? Woo! (laughs) I'll take that as a yes. Yes, (laughs) a resounding yes. Uh, we also have the second part of our Ashes preview for the upcoming men's series beginning on Thursday. I tell you, man, this one I am totally pumped for. I'm so ready for this to start. Yeah, it's going to be a good series. We've Hopefully been building this up for it. so long. I know. Watch it just like hit zero expectations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're also going to bring back story time this week with some of our favorite Ashes stories from history. So get excited for that. And you know what? We have such a good musical selection this week that I'm even going to hype up that. So get excited for some absolute classic tunes coming some later absolute on. absolute classics. <laughs> <laughs> absolute classics. I said that. Yeah, I was, just, I was just trying to make it more clear. Because I don't know, I didn't, I didn't fully understand you. Anyway, before we do all of that, let's talk about a very interesting story coming out of the Sheffield Shield this week, and one that made me laugh for a good five minutes when I first read it. Why don't you tell us about the story, Chuck? Ah, oh, well, this is just the story of the week, Alex. Like this could be the story of the season, and I've hyped it up way too much and watched me disappoint. I don't know how I should go about this. Should I try and build it up and just be like, no, it was actually okay. Yeah, I'll do that. So, normally when you think about fire evacuations, you think, there is a huge fire, get out there, get out of there. And, yeah. Like, the players had stopped on the field. Like, they left the ground. Terrifying. Yeah. You'd think the whole stadium's about to burn down, especially when you have, like, a grass field. Grass burns easily. Yeah, so the do... The whole place could go up. So do buildings, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if they're made out of concrete at, I think it was North Sydney Oval. Yeah, I think so. But, but no, it wasn't that. It was... Drum roll, please. <laughs> Toast burning. <laughs> yes, Nathan Lyon. Yes, Nathan Lyon of all people. Of course, it had to be him. Yes. Burnt some toast. 
and essentially that set off a fire alarm. Two fire trucks come around to, <laughs> you know, make sure it's safe. You know, cricket players are fragile creatures and, you know, they're easily deser- d- deserved. Uh, they're easily put off. And, um, yeah, they needed to be saved. Yeah. And I'm glad we sent two fire trucks to save them from burning <laughs> toast. Uh, there was a half an hour delay off field. They had to be evacuated while the fire trucks arrived because Nathan Lyon burnt some toast and I only have one thing to say to him. Do you know what that is? No. Nice, Gary. Nice, Gary. <laughs> uh, no. um, I think this is an absolute classic. One of my favourite things is uh, Cricket Australia posted an article on their website ab- about this. And in, in the article, it includes the sentence um, about uh, Nathan Lyon and his relationship with the toast. Um, I'm just trying to find it now. I've got it in front of me. Oh, okay. Do you want to read it then? So, Lyon confirmed he had intended to spread peanut butter on the toast before the mishap. <laughs> I love this. This is like next level journalism. <laughs> it's like, thanks for zero relevance. And like, I could read the parts above and below that. There is zero continuity whatsoever. It's just like, it was thrown in there for like some comedic value and it missed. It's like worse than us trying to make a joke. It is worse than us. And that's saying something. Um, saying far too much. <laughs> So Nathan Lyon had uh, talked about that he was watching the cricket and doing his toast at the same time, put his toast down, came up the first time, he decided that it wasn't cooked enough, put it back down again, got distracted by the cricket, and when, you know, your skipper's out there batting, that's it's pretty easy. Steve Smith's one of the most watchable batsmen in the country. And his toast got burnt. So part of me's like, you're an idiot. Part of me like, that's totally understandable. Even I would get distracted by Steve Smith. You know, I've just thought about this, right? What happens if the opposition batsman... No, oh, because it's your batsman in the dressing room. Yeah. What happens if the en- um, enemy, the opposition is pressing? They're getting wicked after wicked. One of the bowlers <laughs> is on fire. You need a stop in play. So you're saying Bring- that Nathan Lyon did this on purpose? Yeah. I'm stalling tactic. Stalling. Steve Smith was under a barrage. <laughs> and he needed. And he looked up to the dressing room, yeah. like Steve Smith does. <laughs> and he's like, I need, I need a hero. I need a saviour. <laughs> Nice, Gary. <laughs> nice, Gary. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the news. Da, da, da. And what's well, we've got a live game. I definitely should have got the scores up. Have I you? have the scores up right now. India v Sri Lanka is happening right now for anyone An curious. An enthralling series. <laughs> <laughs> you hyped this up like it was going to be a whitewash, and Sri Lanka has given us a very strong contest. They rolled India on day one for 172. Very strong performance, including Lakmal, the, uh, one of their quicks. This has been very interesting. For a game in India, it's been dominated by the quicks. He uh, took four for 22, including... Um, Three for none. He had at stumps on day one. He had three for none. Pretty incredible stuff. Uh, India did restrict Sri Lanka to only 294 in the first innings. This was not without controversy, though, as there was some interesting stuff going on, man. I I will explain it to you and the other listeners. So, one of the Sri Lankan batsmen, Dilwan Pereira, who only ended up making five when he was on zero after about seven balls, uh, was given out LBW by the umpire, right? And he looks at his batting partner, Rangana Herath, and he's, he's like, oh, yeah, I think I'm out. And he turns to walk away. And as he turns, he turns towards the dressing room, right? Kind of conspicuous. We're starting to build up here. At that point, he then suddenly, without any kind of cue, turns back and decides to go with the DRS, which ends up being a very successful challenge, and he's given not out on referral. Now, Sri Lanka are claiming that Dilawan Pereira had turned away because he assumed that Sri Lanka had got rid of all their challenges and then turned back when he realised that they still had one left. However, anybody watching this footage, and namely the Indian fans watching as well, 
looks at that and goes, he so clearly got advice from the changing room saying to to challenge. I do not believe for a second that it was because he realised that they had challenges left. It's so obvious from the way he turns, looks at them and turns back. He wasn't even moving. It's it's a farce. And the fact that he hasn't been suspended at this point, I know the test isn't over yet, so we'll see what happens. Uh, that was hilarious. Um, just I'm just going to wrap up the test and then you can talk about that. Um, so India then made eight for 352 declared. They declared a few about an hour ago uh, with Virat Kohli making a century, not out, 104. Shikta Darwan making 94. And they had a crack. They had about 40 overs to try and get rid of Sri Lanka. And it looks like Sri Lanka will hold out. We're about 20 overs of that, 40 overs down. They're currently 4 for 62 with uh, Chandimal and Dikwella sticking around. So we'll see what happens there. But it looks like they're going to hold out. What did you think of the controversy? Well, I think just Sri Lanka needed a Nathan Lyon in the change rooms. He needed to look up to the change rooms and then the, the smoke alarm starts going off and then controversy from there. Yeah, that would have been its own controversy. See, Sri Lanka needs their own Nathan Lyon. <laughs> to be honest, we all need like our own Nathan Lyon. No, but on a serious note, it is concerning. This is the second time it's happened in recent memory. I don't know what you can do about it, though. Do you put like... um. Wind, um, you know how there's tinted windows. Yeah. Do you put them in front of the change rooms? Well, the interesting thing was, was the Sri Lankan batsmen were all um, on the edge of the ground, just the... beyond the rope. Oh. So I don't know how you prevent that. But no. it's it's a really interesting situation. We saw Steve Smith's um, attempted referral last time rejected by the umpires on the grounds that he had turned back to the change rooms. Didn't happen this time. So, I mean, we'll find out if there's any consequences afterwards. It doesn't seem likely. And it might be very uh, make a difference for Sri Lanka be very important uh, Herath was on 13 at the time needed a batting partner he went on to make 67 Pereira facing 34 of those uh, another 34 balls at the other end which is exactly what they needed it could have been massive for India in the context of the match so I don't know it, it might have its own consequences I guess we'll find out well maybe what they should do is as soon as you look at that you're in the direction of your own changing rooms you forfeit the opportunity to review yeah. even if it's not sus at all and just have the um the changing rooms they're normally at like um fine leg they were at yeah, fine leg for this fine leg and cover that sort of area so just forfeit the opportunity yeah and that's not a bad idea moving on england played another tour match against the cricket australia 11 this week we talked about the stunner of the match last week that was incredible this week one this week's game was a little bit more boring um yeah. england put in a bit a bit better of a performance they rolled uh, the Cricket Australia 11 for 250 on day one with uh, Chris Wokes taking 6 for 55 and a great bowling performance by him. Matt Shaw, the only real contributor with the batsman with 51, then proceeded to go out and make 515 over the next few days. Very strong batting performance by the English as they finally looked in good touch. The top order, uh, very strong. Uh, Mark Stoneman hit another century and David Milan hit 109 just so they try and cement that. 50s from Root and Cook as well as they started to cement that top order a bit more. Um, the only real highlight for the Cricket Australia 11 was again Matt Short who took four wickets. Um, and just to cap, cap off a completely successful uh, match from him, he then made 134 not out in the second innings as Cricket Australia 11 made four for 364 on the final day. So after a pretty successful first few days for England, it went all out the window as him and uh, Sanger, a young batsman from, I believe, Victoria, made 133 to go along with it. So a pretty strong first few days and then a little bit of a collapse at the end for the English bowlers. Yeah, they haven't been particularly convincing in their tour matches, have they? But that's the weird thing, though. Contrary to his name, 
Short is much better in the long form of the game. (laughs) (laughs) No, he must get man of the match there. Good stuff from him. But no, if I was an English fan, I'd be like, hmm, Mm. I hope this is us not trying. (laughs) If this is us trying, I'm starting to get very concerned. Better than the uh, performance last week, though. So I think they'll take that. We'll talk a little bit. Most things are. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that English side later on when we do our Ashes preview. Finally, in news this week, the Sheffield Shield. Your favourite. I know. I'm actually so excited. (laughs) (laughs) I love talking about it. Uh, We talked about uh, the conclusion of day one last week, um, and those games have all finished. Uh, The West Australia South Australia game was an absolute stunner for anyone that missed it. We talked about Cameron Bancroft, who was 170 not out when we finished last week. He went on to make 228 not out incredible performance by him which earned him i think most people would expect that australia call up uh west australia made went on to make seven for 514 then took south australia up for 363 with jake weatherall making 152 in that first innings before collapsing themselves western australia for 173 which allowed south australia back into the game where they then made five for 325 in an excellent second inning innings performance again jake weatherall with another century 143 in the second innings to get them the points out of nowhere they looked absolutely done and dusted and somehow managed to win cameron bancroft must be really disappointed (laughs) he did everything in his power to get them the win here he couldn't have done much more set them up brilliantly and uh no good bowling by the south australians to keep um western australia to 173 yeah a couple of players that also uh affected their chances quite strongly. Sean Marsh's second innings 50 to go along with 20-odd in the first innings, I think was another factor in securing his spot for Australia. Meanwhile, Chad Sayers took three for 45 in the second innings, which I think got him a spot in the squad. He was probably going to be it anyway, but it was a nice book for him. And Hamish Cartwright's... Hamish. Hilton Cartwright's 36. It's and cut an, wrong. We've sh- been through this. <laughs> See, you can't joke about that when it actually get his name wrong. <laughs> True. Um, he made 36 in the first innings and then 18 in the second innings. I reckon if he'd made a century there, he might have just stole himself a place. But missing out. Meanwhile, poor Alex Carey was stranded 46 not out at the non-strikers end in the first innings, um, which a big knock from him definitely would have given him a strong chance of knocking down that place for Australia, which we eventually saw go to Tim Payne. Tasmania, Victoria. This one, again, controversy in the week in the Sheffield Shield. Tasmania made 172 in the first innings in a poor performance before rolling Victoria for 144. They then proceeded to make two for 424 declared uh, Tasmania. Two for 424. That is a massive score, including former Australian batsman Alex Dolan hitting 247 not out. Like, the highest score so far in the Sheffordshire this season and one of the better innings you'll see in a while. Bancroft had about the highest score for about two days, if that. (laughs) Not even that. It was about an hour or something. Um, But the controversy arrived when Tasmania decided not to declare until quite later on in the day due to the fact that the Australian selectors wanted to see Tim Payne bat. George Bailey has talked about the fact that uh, he wanted to declare much earlier in the day, but was forced to keep batting, uh, forced to let Alex Doolan and Tim Payne keep batting, and amassed this total of 450 for Victoria to chase, despite the fact that they knew rain was coming later on in the day and the next day, because the Australian selected wanted to watch Tim Payne bat, and bat well he did. He went on to make 71 not out, which... Again, another batsman we talk about again, the Sheffield Shield securing their place for Australia. This is what you do. You make runs in the Shield and you get a spot. We'll talk about that again later, though, because that's a whole other story with Tim Payne. (laughs) Yes, it's an interesting story at that. And in the final innings, 
uh, after having what was technically four sessions, but with rain reduced down to two, uh, Tasmania were unable to bowl out Victoria. They had them 504 at stumps. Glenn Maxwell being unable to get more than 45 not out with the rain holding him back. What do you think of this idea of the Cricket Australia just using ta- uh, these, these Sheffield Shield matches as their own breeding ground? Yeah, that's, that's not right. That is not how you make... I get that they use the Sheffield Shield to pick the Australian team, right? I 100% get that. But it's its own competition, and you're kind of taking away the credibility of the competition if you just use it how you please. If you want to actually see batsmen bat, just do, like, friendlies. <laughs> I can't believe well, I just suggested that. Well, I know. Like if the... It's been so unserious lately that it may as well just be an under-27 competition. Because Ed Cowan, who was a leading run scorer last season, didn't get selected in for New South Wales this season. It's crazy. The whole thing's a joke. They may as well give up and just have it be anybody that we think could play for Australia in the future gets picked and nobody else gets a shot. Yeah, I agree with that. It's it's losing a bit of appeal to... Credibility. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and in the final game, we'll quickly go through this one. Queensland, New South Wales. The New South Wales second string lineup dealt with Queensland very easily with all of their quicks rested. Uh Daniel Hughes hit 98, not out in the first innings for New South Wales as Trent Copeland took quite a few wickets, as did Sean Abbott and Nathan Lyon when he wasn't burning his toast. Um, Just (laughs) one thing I wanted to quickly do before we wrap up the news this week. Uh, We're now through the first three rounds of the Shield. I want to talk about some of the players that have started particularly strongly. Cameron Bancroft, we've already mentioned a few times, 227 in that last game, got him a spot for Australia. Jake Rutherwald hit two centuries in the last game. Usman Khawaja hit a 78 not out in that final game and has been batting beautifully throughout the whole thing. Just really confirming his selection, which probably wasn't in doubt, but is absolutely certain now. And Daniel Hughes, I mentioned before, as well as Callum Ferguson have had strong starts for the bowlers. Trent Copeland is not a name I expect uh, I expect you would have thought to hear at this no. stage. No. Uh, he is one of the leading wicket takers and is, I believe, the second highest average uh, for bowlers behind the main man, Mitchell Stark, who is this- another one of these. The second lowest average or the second, the second highest? That, yeah, I don't, you don't think you want the second highest average. <laughs> uh, Michael Nisar took three far against uh, New South Wales in this round as he continued his strong start, as did Scott Boland and Luke Feldman for Queensland. So, yes, that is the news for this week. But first, before we get on to our other stuff, which I'm sure you're very excited about, we have Kung's This Girl. That was Kung's This Girl here on Sin 90.7 FM. Cricket by Dummies here with Alex and Chalk. And there were some Ashes games throughout the week, Chalk. Yes, there was. It was a big uh, week for England because they needed to win all three T20s because they fluffed around in the test matches. So what do you do if you need to win all three T20s? You lose the first one. That's exactly (laughs) what you do. May as well bury your hopes and not, you know, string yourself along for two games. It was a good first game uh, if you're an Australian fan. If you're an England fan, it probably wasn't so much. England came out and made 132 for nine. They just lost far too many wickets far too quickly to um, actually get anything out of their innings. Wyatt made 50 off 36 in a pretty defiant role, um, considering how the batsmen all around her just collapsed. Uh, Sh- Megan Shoot. A cricket by dummy's favourite. Yes. Uh, no, the favourite. has to be now. <laughs> uh, well, at least mine, because at least I got to interview her. Anyways, uh, four for 22 and just what's been... She could be man of the... Uh, woman of the series. 
really? across the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, she'd definitely be up there. She's just taken so many wickets so prolifically. Um, she got rid of Knight early and then took three wickets right at the death just to make sure England didn't get anything more out of their innings. And then Australia came out and Beth Mooney was like... We're not waiting this. around. <laughs> we're, not, we're not getting past the 16th over. This is going to be done in 15 overs and yep. just absolutely hit the ball to all parts of the ground. Got 86 of 56. Didn't really need contributions from anyone else. She had it all herself. The, it was just She was just playing around, really, in what was, uh, I think it was a record-breaking innings inside Australia for Women's T20 International. Yeah, I believe you're right. Uh, it, was, it was a really great game as an Australian fan just to watch them really secure the series. It was they, they were good in the tests without being particularly dominant. Um, and it was nice to see them go, hang on, we got this. We are the better of these sides. Let's secure the Ashes, make sure we got it. I, I thought the most interesting point of the entire match actually occurred about two minutes into the game, ball two. Uh, for anyone that was didn't that happened to miss it, uh, Jess Jonasson was bowling to Heather Knight. And Heather Knight kind of steps back and tries to cut it and gets a faint edge and it goes through and Alyssa Healy catches it just behind the stumps and she was given out caught behind initially but as she uh, took the catch Alyssa Healy she accidentally brushed off the one of the bales and upon review it was shown that her gloves had been like just uh, like just the tips of her gloves had been a few centimeters in front so they then reversed the dis- dismissal and gave her not out and so she started walking back they then reversed the dismissal again and gave her out so in the end, she was actually out the second ball ahead of the night, and the MCC chairman, who's part of the Laws of the Game Committee, I believe, or something, has come out since then and said that she should have, in fact, been not out as part of Alyssa Healy's gloves were in front of the stumps when she hit the ball. So in the end, an incorrect decision and a complete farce the whole time. <laughs> yeah, that's not exactly how you want to start the T20 series, is it? In a really big game with a complete farce like that... Um yeah, that's doesn't do too many wonders for the women's game at all. Uh, then the second game was last night, actually, and Australia played like it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, England came out and made 152 for six. Uh, they got contributions from all rounds. Siva was their highest scorer with 40. Uh, Megan Shute, again, was amazing. Two for 16 off four overs. How? That's it. <laughs> she's so good. She let's, is, just, let's just say that. She's in the form her of her Her use of her solo ball in the last few overs is particularly deadly. Just kill her with it. Yeah, restricts the batsman right at the death really well. Um, no, so England comes out, makes 152, and Australia's like, you know what? We're going to be out in 16 overs. <laughs> I don't actually know when they lost their last wicket, but it may as well have been. They were all out for 112, never really threatened. Uh, Alyssa Healy at top score with 24. Woo! <laughs> no, uh, Gunn with four for 13 off three overs to be the pick of the bowlers. Yeah, just hopefully Australia plays the next game like they mean it. Because if they lose the next game, it's actually going to be their fifth successive T20 series loss to England and Australia. Yeah, that would be poor. Um, I just don't want to see them give up that easy. Because I, even though they have now secured the Ashes, and even if England win the next match, Australia will still win the Ashes... 
I want to see them try. I want to see them put in an effort. And I'm not like too harsh to say that they didn't try, but it, clearly the desire wasn't there in the same way it was in the previous games. They're just, you know, just not switched 100% on. So hopefully they can get some motivation back and try and find something. Um, from a positive perspective, anyone watched the game that saw some of Catherine Brunt's hitting for England down the tail end? Oh, lovely. She hit one of the sixes that actually went uh, outside over the fence. So what would have been like good... 80, 90 metre six, which for the women is extremely impressive. That's pretty good numbers. That's uh, among the biggest you'll see. Fantastic shot. Uh, it was a great lower order hitting and really helped England secure the match. Yeah, she's a very good all-rounder for mm. England. One of the better ones going around yeah. for sure. But I tell you what, Alex, you've really got to feel sorry for Canberra. <laughs> this is... They've been, you know... They've, the Women's Ashes has gone to a lot of the more regional places and a lot of the smaller grounds. So Canberra would have been licking their lips. They're like, okay, we can get two games here. We got the last two games. The series could still be on the line. It's going to decide the series. Uh, no. No. So not only do they have to deal with subpar politicians in Canberra. <laughs> I feel like we shouldn't get political <laughs> on this now. That's, uh, no, not only have they got that, now they've got to deal with subpar cricket. <laughs> Well, I, I feel like that's Canberra in a nutshell. It's just <laughs> subpar. <laughs> we apologise to any of our listeners that happen to be from Canberra. Um, but no, I don't think anyone actually likes apologize. Canberra. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope we get a good last game. I, I really am hopeful. Yeah, it, it, will, it can only do good for marketing the women's game yet again. I keep saying it, but like, no... You can never have too much marketing. And I think there are still a lot of players for Australia and England that are both trying to prove themselves worthy of a spot. I mean, we talked about we've interviewed Molly Strano in the past and she got a game in t uh, the second T20 once the series was wrapped up. So the, clearly Australia is showing that they're willing to blood a few youngsters to try and get them some experience to see if they can prove themselves. So it'd be nice for players such as her to have a bit more success in this final T20 and prove that they are cut out for international level. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. You put it very well. Thank you. We will be back with our Ashes preview beginning on Thursday. But first, bit of ABBA, Mamma Mia. That was, of course, Mamma Mia by ABBA. Great song. Just a little side note. Uh, you're here on Sin 90.7. Uh, ABBA by Dummies, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great show. Okay. We're making a new show. Monday from 10 till 11. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk Mamma Mia. Let's talk Mamma Mia. Here I go again. Um, let's why, talk why? some Ashes. <laughs> let's talk some Ashes preview. The Australians have confirmed their lineup ahead of the first test in Brisbane starting on Thursday. It reads as follows. David Warner and Cameron Bancroft shall open the batting. Usman Kowaja will bat at three. Stephen Smith at four, the captain. Peter Hanscombe will bat at five. Sean Marsh at six. Tim Payne will keep for Australia, batting at seven. We'll get to that in a what? second. <laughs> and the bowling lineup is the only part yet to be confirmed, but we are pretty confident it's going to be Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood, and Nathan Lyon. Chuck, what stands out to you for this? Oh, it has to be Mitchell Stark. I don't know no, I don't. how he got What a surprise inclusion. I know. I don't know how he got in the test lineup. He's just, he's not lethal with the ball whatsoever. <laughs> he can't really bowl a good Yorker, and he doesn't swing the ball much or bowl particularly quickly. So you say that, but I was surprised by the inclusion of Stephen Smith. Why would you put the captain in? Good point. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Tim Payne. Let's talk Tim Payne. Uh, like, I can't believe someone actually sh outshadows Sean Marsh getting included, <laughs> outdoes it. But... I know. I feel like that's one of the things that's gone under the radar is that nobody's talking about Cameron Bancroft and Sean Marsh because Tim Payne is the story. Because Tim Payne, someone who hasn't played Sheffield Shield 
in a very long time. Has played three Sheffield Shield matches in two years. Hasn't scored. Has a least less recent uh, Sheffield Shield hundred than the Australian coach Darren Lehman, who's been retired for ten years. Yes, I feel like that's a you know a <laughs> nice little side fact. So his last uh, Sheffield Shield century uh, Tim Payne was in two thousand and six. Two thousand and six. Think about that. That's a long time ago. That's a long time ago. We definitely weren't doing radio back then. No, I was like eight years old. I was was barely able to count to ten at that point. That's how long ago that was. And now I can speak full sentences and most of the time they make sense. Huh? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a definite um, surprise inclusion. I have no idea why the selectors have done this. I understand that none of the wicket keepers are showing any great form whatsoever, but it's just a strange one because how can you pick someone who has zero form over a few people who have bad form? Uh, it's it's incredible stuff. I think the, the worst part is we mentioned this earlier, but it makes a mockery of the Sheffield Shield system. I mean... It's the system is designed to be right. In theory, is the state should be competing for who's the best. That's not what it is. It's a breeding ground for whatever cricket Australia wants. Whoever's likely to get sele- uh, selection gets priority, and the states actually get incentives based on the number of players they contribute to the national team. Right. And then this is just dismisses all of that because it says that, well, aside from all of that, we're going to pick a player who doesn't have a proven record at Shield level over the last few seasons, was performing so badly that he got dropped by his state consecutive times and has only got a recall when they've had injuries over the last few seasons before getting a recall for this last Sheffield Shield game. It's a joke. And I, I honestly just think, aside from actually picking the best test lineup, they need to think about what this says about the Shield system. What's the point, really? Is we've seen Ed Cowan dropped, and I know we've already talked about that, the fact that the leading run score from the last series didn't get in the team. The likes of Cameron White and Michael Klinger not getting selected despite easily being in their side's best 11. I just... I don't understand what the point is of Sheffield Shield anymore. What What is the actual objective? Because on one scale, we have Cameron Bancroft, whose record beyond this year is not great. It's okay. He's um, been in the talks to get He's been in the talks, yeah. Um, he's, he's had some good periods, but really has shunned based on this season. That was what got him selected in the Shield, right? Then you have Sean Marsh, who's strong, strong form for years in the Sheffield Shield, but can't crack it at test level, gets another, a, another chance. And then Tim Payne, who's played three games in two years. I just, I don't get it. What is the criteria anymore? What, what are you actually picking the best players on? Yeah, I've got nothing to add to that. You're very, very emotional <laughs> I, about I this. I do not understand. I honestly don't. Especially when you've got two half-wicket keepers in the team in Bancroft and Hanscombe, either of which you could train to keep. Yeah. And both of which are young enough that if you trained to keep them now, you would get many years out of their keeping. Yeah, I, I'm happy with Bancroft's selection. I know he's been thrown around the selection table for many years now, and he's finally put... such good form that it's impossible to ignore it. Um, Renshaw probably feels hard done by, I feel. Um, He had a very good summer last summer, but I mean, what does that say though? Because if you perform at Australian level, but you don't perform at Sheffield Shield level, does that mean you don't get put in? Does someone who didn't perform well at Sheffield Shield level, but performed well at Australian level, didn't get a spot, whereas someone who hasn't performed at Sheffield Shield level and has probably played some Premier cricket (laughs) uh, got a spot? I I don't know. I don't understand how the system works anymore. Um, The Sean Marsh selection was one that you uh, called ahead of time. Um, 
That means looking, I win the prediction. <laughs> you do. You actually got more of them right than me. Uh, looking back at, at that selection, do you stand by the call? Do you think it's a good call? Oh, I just... Did we do the teams we think... I I like the fact that he's experienced and it's an Ashes tour. I don't see him long term. Um, I don't know. There just wasn't many better choices. I would... I wouldn't have minded another all-rounder, though, because yeah. if England bat for a long time, we're in a lot of trouble because I don't like Pat Cummins' body at all. Neither I hope, do I. I hope Steve Smith's and, ready to bowl a few overs. Uh, and from what I've heard, he will, and Stark's body is vulnerable as well. And then Hazelwood's just coming back from injury, so who knows what will happen. I agree in the all-rounder. Somebody made a point to me that I think was really interesting. Um, I believe it was one of the selectors on radio who said that um, Hilton Cartwright m- might have very well have gone out there and made a century and so might have Glenn Maxwell. But both of them were also a very large risk of making a pair and they couldn't afford that and they know, I feel like, and, uh, and I agree with this, I'm pretty certain Sean Marsh will make at least 40 rounds in this first test. Yeah. Across both innings, he's that kind of batsman, especially very different from the kind of batsman he used to be. He's the kind of batsman that just goes in and just digs in. Like, he's, he doesn't give away his wicket cheaply. And, and it's not that he doesn't play attacking shots, but he's just the kind of batsman whose mentality is always, I'm not getting out this way. And so I kind of like that. I agree with especially a vulnerable lower order. It's nice to have that kind of batsman at seven. So I think that's a good call. Let's talk England now because we, we just need to keep moving. Uh, the England lineup seems pretty well set. There's only real one um, real decision still to make. So let's run through that. Uh, Mark Stoneman seems to be the one who's going to open up alongside Alistair Cook. Uh, James Vince looks likely to be the number three. Uh, Joe Root will captain the side at four. David Milan, again, seems likely, maybe not certain, but likely to bat at five. Uh, one of the best wicketkeepers in world cricket in te- test level right now. Johnny Bairstow will bat at six, most expect. Uh, Moa Mali, one of the England's two very solid all-rounders in the side, even without Ben Stokes at seven. Chris Wokes at eight, who we talked about earlier, is in strong form with the ball and we know can bat. Chris Broad, uh, Chris Broad, Stuart Broad. Chris Broad. That's the second time I've made a name mistake. Uh, I'm on fire tonight. Stuart Broad will bat at nine, one of the best bowlers in world cricket going around that now. The only real decision left to make will be whether or not England go with two spinners or not. And so if they do, it will be Mason Crane that will bat at 10. If not, it'll likely be Craig Overton. And of course, James Anderson coming in as England's famous number 11. What do you make of this lineup? It's very different to the last lineup that came out here. And I understand there's four years between games. So there is uh, between series. So there's obviously room for lots of change. But I reckon if I hadn't kept up with the English um, tour... I would only know Cook, Root, Bairstow, Ali, Broad, maybe Wokes, but he didn't really play in the Ashes series. He played in the one day as an Anderson. It's a very different side. Uh, I'm sure the Australian one's pretty similar, but it's a very young side, this England one. It's very unproven, I feel. There's a lot of... Yep. there's, But not even just inexperienced. Like, they've, they've got a lot of people that haven't played many games, but they haven't, like... Does it, they haven't cemented a spot. You can still play like seven tests, and if you show some good form, you're you're potentially long-term player. Whereas a lot of these younger guys like Vince, uh, Milan's been better, but Stoneman, all those top-order guys, they haven't really proven themselves and like made that spot in the batting lineup in the side theirs. And this will be a big series for not only like England trying to win it, obviously, but for their careers. Because if they go out there and all have a horrific series, England's got to start a rebuild. They got to get some other cricketers in there that are showing something. Because otherwise, I don't see where they're going to go with this team. 
Um, I, yeah, I totally agree. I think the biggest talking point is, of course, the fragility of that top order lineup is... Yeah, totally agree. It's Cook and Root are elites. We know that. And then uh, Besto, Ali and Wokes can all bat. But, I mean, really, Stoneman is unproven at test level despite having excellent form so far in all these tour games. James Vince, I agree with you. I'm really concerned about. I think he's one that's really going to struggle. And then David Milan at five, just not convinced. I mean... To go into an Ashes with such an unproven lineup is such a worry for them. It very well could work, and we might just turn out that half of these guys are ready, right? And they might just be come out all guns firing, and, and we might be like, yeah, that, those were some good selections. But there's just so many question marks, and the bowling attack... I mean, we know Broader and Anderson are going to take wickets. That's as confident. And Ali will take probably around, you know, he's 10 to 15 for the series. Like, chipping in without being a star spinner... That leaves a lot of work still to be done by Wokes and whoever they go with of Overton and Crane. And that's not getting into what happens if it Ben Stokes comes back. But the two main issues for them are really the fundamental things when it comes to cricket is, are they going to make enough runs because that batting lineup is fragile? Because let's say, let's say they made, let's say Cook, Root and Besso all made 50s, right? That still leaves them at like around about 2, 250. Even with those players playing well, they're not going to get massive totals. That's what worries me. And then with the wickets, if if Anderson and Broad have a bad day, where are the wickets coming from? Where are they going to get themselves out of trouble and get through those those Australian batsmen who we know can be so frustrating at times? I think you can sum this up into one word for England, uh, depth. It's all about their depth. They've got two or three really good batsmen and bowlers, but... Beyond that, they're going to need their lesser players to really stand up. And if their lesser players stand up, then not only do we have a series, I think Australia's in a bit of trouble. Yeah, so do I. You look at the Australian side, and the depth isn't a whole lot better. It's no. a little better, but it's not like crazy better. We we picked Tim Payne. <laughs> need I say more? And Sean Marsh. Yeah. Need I say more? I think there's a little bit more dependency in the Australian bowling lineup, which I yes. think will help. And, and they're a bit more experienced with these conditions. Yes. Um, is we've seen Broad has done well in these conditions, but Anderson has always struggled whenever he's come to Australia, um, whereas Stark has a field day over here and Hazelwood will, will have a free-for-all. That's aside from Cummins and Lyon, who I'm sure will con- contribute as well. It will be very interesting if the first test is an absolute belting and then Ben Stokes comes over. That's going to make things really interesting. Because if you think about it, let's say he slots in at maybe Besto to five, Stokes at six, and Milan out. Suddenly that, that lower middle order becomes Root at four, Besto five, Stokes six, Ali seven, Wokes eight. And you think, geez, how are we going to get through all of them? Is Even after you get the first three or four wickets, you've still got decent batsmen there. Yeah, he's a big in for them. And we have no idea what's going to happen with the investigation over there. No idea. <laughs> Fingers crossed... Not to be against uh, people, but fingers crossed that he doesn't come to Australia for our own, for our own stake. I like having the Ashes. It's quite a nice thing to have, actually. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We're going to be back with some Ashes story time after a bit of Sam Smith. I like Sam Smith, don't you? Yeah. This is Sam Smith, Like I Can. That was Sam Smith, Like I Can, here on Sin 90.7 FM Cricket by Dummies. Chuck, you know how we are totally and utterly professional at all times? Yeah, and we never make any mistakes, <coughs> Mamma Mia. <coughs> no, no, we have not once ever made a mistake. Well, we've got to do our predictions. <laughs> it's kind of an important part of the Ashes. Or what we should have done is done our Ashes, like, next week. So not even, like, 
Yeah, just, just cheated. Just do, no, do it <laughs> after the Ashes. <laughs> We're going to do our Ashes <laughs> predictions, what, mid-January? Yeah, yeah, about then. That's it. Of okay. uh, 2022. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, here's what I'm thinking. I think it's going to be 3-1 Australia. Don't. That was going to be <laughs> mine. Well, I have to play de- devil's advocate now, don't I? Let's do it. 2-all. Two 2-all. Two That's going to be interesting. 2-all, yep. I... Tool because I don't know. I feel like England's gonna lose the first test, um, obviously because and then because their lineups just weaker and Australia play traditionally really well up at Brisbane. They yeah. don't lose many first tests, so they'll win up there and then Stokes will come back and they'll they will start playing some really good cricket and it'll come down to the last test and England will win it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just. I'm or not convinced. Tired. I'm not convinced by enough of their players. But we'll move on. So three one to me. Wait, two all for you. Just to clarify, I'm playing devil's advocate. <laughs> I, I I think Australia's going to win three one, which is what I would have gone with. But since we didn't actually plan out what we were both going to say for this, <laughs> I decided to go a little always, off track. It's always good to surprise each other. Isn't that the story of this uh, show? Definitely. We went a little off track. <laughs> um, just a little update on the Sri Lanka India game that we were talking about earlier in the show. Sri Lanka are now seven for. 75 and it is the 26th over so there are 14 overs to go if India can take those last three wickets they will take the first test that will be interesting it's gonna I be a wonder if conclusion. we can talk for long enough <laughs> no 14 hours uh, 14 over. overs will be another hour and yeah. unfortunately we haven't got that booked no fortunately we're not going to be talking for another hour <laughs> for all the... of your sakes yes yeah, now story time let's get on to some stories Ash's stories so how did you want to do this? Um, so we're going to start story time this week by um, talking a little bit about our stories and then we're actually going to play you the clips of them happening. But first, why don't you tell us about your story? So this has to be... Uh, mine actually has relevance to the Gabba because my story is from the Gabba and it's from the very first ball of an Ashes series. A very big Ashes series back in 2006... Uh, the English came over and, you know, they were feeling okay about themselves. They had the Ashes from the last time. And you know what you've got to do at the start of an Ashes series, Alex? You've got to set the tone right. <laughs> you've got to be like, this is how we're going to play. We're not going to put up with your fans and your rowdy <laughs> behaviour and your sledging. We are going to make a statement. Yeah, so they took a wicket first ball, right? Well, by, by a wicket, you mean it was a metre off the pitch. <laughs> Steve Harmison, as he does, trundles in. I think trundles is about the right word for him. And uh, in his lanky action, delivers it, and it goes to first slip. <laughs> and the captain's looking at him bewildered, yeah, as you'll stunned. see. Well, here. Let's play the audio. The first ball, the first test match. Whoa, wide delivery, taking a slip by the skipper. The nerves are showing already. First slip. <laughs> I think that says enough of it. And... If you haven't seen the video, the captain, uh, Andrew Strauss, it was at the time, is just bewildered. <laughs> he didn't expect to get catching practice so early on. Maybe that's what he was doing, giving the you know skipper catching practice. Anyways, uh, that delivery ended up being the tail of the ashes as England went on to lose 5-0. Yes, 5-0. And, uh, yeah, that's my ashes moment. I feel like that's one of the more iconic ones, at least in Australia. Oh, in recent memory, definitely. I, I will always remember that. It's it's so great. And I 
completely agree. I love how it set the tone for the rest of the Ashes. It was pretty much the end of Steve Harmison's career. He'd been a really good bowler <laughs> up until that point. He had a terrible series. And he was he was one of the biggest casualties of that that series. I highly recommend watching that delivery though, because yeah. I cannot exaggerate how much that missed the pitch by. Yeah. It's it's almost as good as um for anyone that's seen it, Mornay Morkel bowled a wide in an ODI about two years ago, which went for like five, which Ended up missing the wicketkeeper by about five metres down the left side. It's incredible stuff. Uh, <laughs> the keeper just gave up. Yeah, Harmison's is almost as bad as that. Um, very good story from you. I appreciate that. Mine is probably the biggest moment in Ashes history. That's how highly I'm going to talk this up. It is almost my favourite, if not my favourite. And it is, of course, the ball of the century, the Gatting ball. I don't know how many other ways I can put it. This is one of the finest deliveries in cricket history, if not, like, ever. It is... Deemed the ball of the century, which speaks enough for itself. It is was bowled by Shane Warne in 19... Let me just check the year. 1993, uh, during Australia's tour of England then. But a little bit of context. So Shane Warne had been playing for Australia for a few years up until that point. Had never uh, travelled to England before. A few series in Australia and a series in the West Indies. Uh, he'd done well without being amazing. Um, had, had shown promise, but was not a resounding success and, and hero that many people know him as now. Yeah, he wasn't a lock in the team yet. No. He's still yet to cement his spot. Definitely. Uh, he had taken a 7 far in the West Indies at one point, which had shown a lot of promise there. But um, as Stephen O'Keefe has shown, you can take seven wickets in an innings and still get dropped pretty quickly. Um, so Shane Warne was, had, had a lot of promise. Uh, however, when he travelled to England... This was a young Shane Warne, who, for anyone that knows what young Shane Warne was like, picture the same as Shane Warne now, so still fat, still very old looking, and still that earring, but 15 years younger. So it was basically the same person, but 15 years <laughs> but younger. But with hair. Um, so <laughs> the English media riddled him. They said, he, you know, he's fat, he's lazy, he drinks, like, this guy is not a professional cricketer. There's no way he's going to come over and be successful here. And... They tore him apart. And so before his first ball had even been bowled, bowled in the ashes, um, everybody had already labelled him a failure. So he had a lot to prove going into this ashes. Australia had a lot to prove. Australia came out and made 290 in the first innings. Not a great first innings total. And England were one for 80 and in control when the Australian captain brought on Shane Warne. Now... I, I can't describe how good this ball is to you, so all I can do is let you hear the immortal words of Richie Benno as he describes to you what happened. First ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Gadding has absolutely no idea what has happened to it. He still doesn't know. He asked Kenny Palmer on the way out. Kenny Palmer just gave him a raised eyebrow and a little nod. That's all it needed. I love that line from Richie Benno. That's all it needed. Because really that sums up the ball. It's it's beautiful. I mean, I will quickly just describe what it actually was. So it's a beautiful leg spinning delivery that that, that swung to pitch outside leg, swung, uh, spun back and clipped the top of off. And the best part is, please everyone go watch the clip because the look on Mike Gatting's face, one of the best batsmen in world cricket going around, is utterly bewildered. He cannot even comprehend what that ball has done. Yeah, as he was leaving the crease, he was still looking back on his walk to the pavilion. He was still looking back at the pitch just like, huh? I, I that doesn't make sense. Balls aren't meant to turn at right angles. It's just not part of physics. Yeah, it was absolutely extraordinary. It's 
a beautiful delivery and one of the finest moments in Ash's history. A- aside from it being one of the greatest balls of all time, it turned out Ashes. Australia went to go on and, and win the test and, and win the Ashes. It was a massive moment. It began their dominance. This is the same Australian side that went on to be captain in Ricky Ponting and didn't lose an Ashes series until about 2003-04. Yeah. I think was the first time they lost four, an Ashes series after four, that. five, I yeah, think it yeah, would have been. That, that ran about that era. Anyway, that about wraps up what we've got for you this week. Um, it's been another classic episode of Cricket by Dummies. Have you enjoyed it, Lockie? I North? think classic's a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. It's good going through all the Ashes stuff, and at, it's good timing uh, as the women's Ashes finishes tomorrow night. The men's Ashes starts on Thursday night. I'm keen for both of them. It's going to be a great summer of cricket. We've still got the Big Bash League to come. I haven't I even started getting hyped for that, but my God, I know I know you're not the biggest fan of T20 cricket, but I, I love the Big Bash. I think it's great entertainment, and I will have plenty of time to spiel about it later down the track. But no, I thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you had as good a time as we did. Uh, we're on Facebook. We do random posts just here and there. Uh, at, and about the episodes as podcasts, if you want to listen there. We're on iTunes. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Catch up with any of uh, the episodes that you previously missed on iTunes or Omni. Uh, we're on there. Um, but as always, my name's Alex Henry. I'm Chuck. And thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good night.